Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 75. I'm Steve Kwan. And I'm Matt Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. Matt, is 75 a milestone worth celebrating, or is that just a regular number? What do you think? This is episode 75? This is 75. Wow. Yeah, I know. Time flies. I better hold out till we get to 100. Yeah. 100's a special number. We'll do something then. 69 and 100 are the only two numbers that I think are worth celebrating. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, I got a question. Do you want some of my homemade hand sanitizer? You made sanitizer? Oh God, no. No, I'm not smart enough to do that. My wife is a molecular biologist, so I put her in charge of it. She makes it? Yes. I usually just jizz in a cup and let it ferment. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, your test is so high that like nothing can survive that, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So today we wanted to talk about something that I think we've alluded to in the past, which is the concept of submission as position. Now, this does not imply that you should just abandon all pretense at <laughs> position and just die for submissions. But this is the concept that a lot of submissions can actually be used as a position and you can advance through the submission to actually break your opponent's alignment more and more. So, I mean, probably the most well-known example of this would be the Kimura trap, right? This was a big breakthrough in the development of jujitsu because in, in the past, at least when I started, when you thought of the Kimura, you thought of this attack you would often do either off the bottom or off the top and that was it but the breakthrough with the Kimura trap was that you could use the Kimura from the bottom to break alignment and advance right through to the top and even to the person's back that was a big big change in the way that people looked at that move to look at it not just as a submission in itself but as a whole position and a whole system that you can exploit and it was a big breakthrough for me when I realized that almost any submission can be thought of in that way where you can attack a submission from the bottom and yeah you might not get it but you can use it as a way to break alignment and advance position and get on top and of course as alignment breaks and as the position improves then that submission starts to become much more viable so let's talk about that i think that's a good thing to bring to light yeah i think the kimura is an awesome example because you use the example of using it from the bottom but it can be used as a guard pass it can be used as um Uh, takedown defense there's just all types of applications Uh, you can use it to transition through to many different systems and I think really what we're talking about here is systems and the idea of using a submission as a system and you know the Kimura trap's been around for a long time but I think one of the biggest pioneers well Rob Rob sort of pioneered this as well but um, obviously people have been doing Kimura traps for a long time but John Danaher as well um, making uh, basically taking jujitsu and breaking it down into systems. And then once you learn each system, you can learn how to transition through the different systems. And Kimura is one of them. So, mm. you know, you could you could attack the Kimura or you could get some other kind of form of uh, a dilemma, maybe by uh, getting a crucifix or a t- uh, trapping the head and arm with the Kimura as well. There's so many different combinations. It's such a versatile move because it, it does such a good job of... Um, Basically, you're, when you catch a good Kimura trap, you're keeping your opponent uh, hostage and they can't get out until their shoulder gets back into alignment. So as long as you open that elbow and you got a two-on-one on that arm, it's pr- really powerful. So definitely yeah. one of my favorite moves. Also, it's not just Kimuras, right? On the topic of John Danaher and Rob's systems, 
Leg locks are a perfect example of where these used to be thought of as individual attacks. Mm -hmm. And the main criticism of the leg lock game was that, oh, well, you're, you're giving up position. You know, you have to fall back and lose position. And so the leg locks are bad. But one of the things we've learned over the last decade is that leg locks in and of themselves have a whole series of positions you can advance through. And you can even use those in many cases to get back to the traditional jujitsu positions as well. Mm. So thinking of those submissions, not just as submissions in isolation, but as whole systems that you can use is a really a game changer. And I would encourage people to think of almost any submission in that light where by being creative with it, you should be focused not just on trying to get the tap, but if it's not really likely you're going to get the tap, using it as leverage for sweeping, passing, advancing the position, um, and not just having like this myopic view of trying to get the submission when you could be using that as a way to advance the position. Yeah, I think I think one of the best ways to use leg locks I've mentioned before is um, in tandem with guard passes. Uh, you know, if you're, if you want to pass the guard, you can mix up leg entanglements and vice versa. If you want to use leg entanglements, you can also threaten the guard pass and they, they work really nicely together. If you have, uh, if you have some good fundamental understandings of how to enter leg entanglement positions with these, uh, with these guard passes. Um, and you know, another example of when we're talking about submissions that are systems and, uh, are essentially positions, a great example we haven't talked about yet is like front headlock position because front headlock position, um, the entire time your opponent is in danger. And if they go to protect their neck, a lot of the time you can snap them down and, you know, hit a go behind and, and start working towards the back. So that, again, it's, it's sort of a two way street where you can, you can go for your your back attacks. If that doesn't work, you can always attack the head. If the if the attack in the head or the head and arm doesn't work, you can always go to the back. So it, it's 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 very open ended, and um, you know you can you can kind of funnel your opponent into a better position, pretty much regardless of what happens. You know, unless you're dealing with a real a real strong athletic. Uh, difficult person to control. It's it's usually a sound way to control someone. Yeah, it's funny you bring up the front headlock because the front headlock series is one of my favorite attack strategies, which is where you've got your opponent in turtle and you're on top and you go to the front where you're facing them head on. And rather than trying to secure a body lock or a seat belt, you just use both of their hands to secure a headlock. And I like this a lot because if you go for something like a seatbelt, the guy kind of expects that you're going to go for a seatbelt and then you wind up tethering yourself to him. So a lot of people, I mean, just look at TELUS, for example, they want you to take that seatbelt because although you're attached to them, they're also attached to you now and that means they can move you around. But if you go for a front headlock, then your opponent is forced to respond. They can't just let you have both of your hands on their head because yeah. they're going to get choked. So it forces them to bring their hands into play and that creates a lot of other openings that are really, really valuable as the guy on top attacking. So Basically I, creates a dilemma. Yeah, so I find now, rather than trying to take the seatbelt and hop onto their back, which is what people expect when they turtle, what I like to do is just go for the front headlock because now they have to really think. They have to defend themselves. They have to bring their hands up to engage and yeah, that opens up a ton of opportunities and creates a lot of dilemmas. Yeah, I, I really like the front headlock position because I feel like against good opponents, um, if I don't get the back nine times out of 10, they're going to be grambying and inverting. And now I'm uh, attacking an inverted opponent. And it's one of my favorite positions is having someone inverted or they just like high legged or grambied. And now they're in a position where their their butts up in the air and their back is exposed. So this is like you know, I love going to, for crab rides, leg drags, things like that. That's really part of my game. And I, I really love attacking uh, inverted opponents from the turtle. Yeah, um, it's, it's a really like not a good. I, I know you love turtle, but I, I think it's one of the honestly one of the worst positions you can hang out in. Right. Because there's so many ways you can get attacked. Yeah. Turtle only works if you don't hang out there. And I think that's the error that a lot of people make is they pull turtle and they wait for their opponent to kind of come at them and do something. But you're in such a hard to defend position that that's not really suggestible. What yeah. I would do if I'm going for turtle is make sure that you try to grab onto the person before they grab onto you. So I like to hand fight if I'm in turtle, for example. I don't want to have a situation where my opponent is spinning around on top of me and I don't know what they're going to grab or what they're going to, where they're going to go. You're so. the only one I know who quote pulls turtle. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, technic- it's like pulling mount <laughs> on a pull side control. Micah does crazy stuff like that. I've seen him pull side control. Yeah. Yeah. For those who don't know, we're talking about Micah Brakefield, a fascinating black belt from the Vancouver area who like has his own insane system that usually involves him pulling bottom side control. And somehow he's able to make it work. I've never seen anyone else be able to adopt his game, <laughs> but it definitely works for him. I mean, it doesn't really, I, I, I truthfully think it doesn't work if you are the same size as him or if you, you know, if you, if you know what he's doing and you know, like, I'll, I'll say this, if I roll with Micah and, um, you know, I don't know his game, he could definitely catch me with some behind the back shit. And I think a lot of that is because his arms are so long and he's much bigger than me. But if you do, if you stay away from certain positions, like if you, if you kind of stay away from side control against him, it's, it's, I, I just don't think it's a good strategy to kind of build your game around. And it's, it's shown at the highest level when he competes, it's not, it's not really a strategy that uh, is successful often. Well, that's kind of where we're talking about a game that's based on tricks or like secrets for yes, example and that's we, exactly what that is we talked about this on our game planning series on patreon i mean it's not that that stuff doesn't work right and if you're serious about competing you're always going to want to have a trick up your sleeve but the thing about tricks is as soon as people know what your tricks are they can just avoid those situations right so if someone knows for example that if you pull bottom side control on them it's a trap well they can go into that situation cautiously so this actually is an interesting tie into the concept of submission as position right you don't want your game to be so focused on just getting these weird exotic submissions that you're foregoing the opportunity to advance position right and you see this a lot where guys they might have like a really good um, like heel hook or achilles lock or guillotine and they'll jump into it And a lot of the time they'll get it, but if they don't, they're screwed, right? A a big part of being good at submission as position is knowing when you're not going to get that submission and being able to use it to advance. I mean, for myself personally, I'm not really a leg lock guy. I'm not even that fluent or knowledgeable about the positions or strategies there, but I do use certain leg lock strategies to get into standard sweeps, right? So I kind of threaten the ankle lock, for example, and I'm using that really as an opportunity to get up and take top position and get my two points and set up a leg drag. And that's kind of an example of submission as position because you're using the submission as a setup to something else. And that creates a dilemma that your opponent needs to respond to. Yeah, just just like how guard passing and leg entanglement entries work in tandem with each other as you're describing you can totally use leg entanglement attempts even if they're not good attempts a lot of the time your opponent will either give you their back or they'll give you an opportunity to wrestle up which is one of the best applications for leg entanglements under a point setting you know if it's submission only then you probably don't care well you you will want to get the back and you you know arguably do want to get on top depending your game but definitely in a point situation that's really valuable to be able to abandon a leg entanglement to go for something more and that is what you're seeing a lot of the high level guys do now with leg entanglements they use it to get back exposure they use it to get sweeps things like that You know, it's funny you mentioned that the concept of bad submissions, like going for a submission that you just, you know, you're not going to get. I used to think that was a terrible idea. Like you're on the bottom, you know, why go for an arm bar, for example, or an omoplata if you don't think you're going to get it. Um, But now I, I realize now that those bad or low percentage opportunities still have a place. They still create reactions. Because they create reactions. They create Kazushi, right? If you go for a submission, even if you don't get it, if it gets your opponent moving, that's going to create openings. So a big part of creating Kazushi is going for submissions that you might not get, but at least they force a response out of your opponent. And then based on that, you can start actually going for positional advancements. Yeah. And and I find like, um, you know, it's something I've been thinking about. How am I going to describe using systems? And what, I, what I'm using, I'm, I'm actually using a, a, a term that I got from culinary arts called critical control points. And that's basically like, uh, the the details behind these systems that keep you in control. So if we're talking about a Kimura, the critical control point would be keeping an open elbow, keeping internal rotation of the shoulder, keeping a two-on-one on the arm, 
Um, and as long as you maintain that, technically the Kimura should remain under your control. Same thing with like, a, let's say a saddle position. You know, you have strong wedge on the hip, strong wedge behind the knee, and ideally you have double trouble. If you have all these things, it should be really difficult for your opponent to escape. And as long as you keep the, that free leg, they can't spin out, right? So um, th I, I think that this is a really valuable way when you're using systems as controls, and you're especially when you're transitioning from system to system. That's when these concepts really come in handy. So for example, going for like a Kimura into a back position or a Kimura into a rear triangle position, you know, like th these are kind of the, the details that are going through my mind as I'm rolling, because I know that if I let go of one of the controls on the Kimura and I try and go to the back, it's kind of like I'm making that leap of faith without actually having control. But as long as I maintain those control points as I'm transitioning, then it should be a pretty smooth transition. And before you know, I have like multiple systems ha working at once. I have dilemmas working blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's always a few details that really matter and a lot that are kind of superfluous. And we've talked about this in the past about how it is very stressful and overwhelming to try to remember all of the steps to a move that your instructor teaches you. But normally what's really important is understanding the things that actually really make or break the position and knowing that the rest of the things are kind of just surface concerns that you can adjust to or adapt on the fly. Very rarely when you do a technique does it come out exactly the way that you drilled it, right? Usually you have to make adaptation on the fly, but you need to know which details you cannot adapt. Like in a Kimura, for example, I would say that if you want to Kimura someone, there's a lot of variation in terms of how you can do it, but two things that you just, you never want to change in your strategy. Number one, you always want to pull the arm separate from the core. You never want to let the person keep the, the elbow in and the arm in tight to their core. And number two, you always want to apply rotation. As long as you're doing those things, you can kind of do whatever you want, right? And and a big one is keeping the arm at a 90 degree angle. That's also another, another really important detail because as soon as your opponent straightens their arm, then... You know, even if you somehow keep a two on one on their arm, you're going to lose all that internal rotation and they're going to be able to spin. So it's, you know, things like that. If, if I'm using like a, an arm bar as a system in the spider web position, then I'm going to want some kind of control over, you know, either the, the same side leg or the opposite side shoulder and having strong wedges on the far shoulder so that they can't just hitchhike out of there. Right. If, if I just have control on the near arm, the arm that I want then there's going to be a lot of movement from my opponent because I only am sort of isolating one lever. So uh, again, critical control points allow you to transition from that, from an arm bar to a triangle or from an arm bar to the back. And it's important to, to keep those key details in mind rather than like knowing all of the combinations of moves, just knowing how to transition from one system to another can be really valuable. I have to ask, you mentioned that you learned this from culinary arts. Yeah. How is the concept of critical control points relative to culinary arts? So in culinary arts, critical control points basically just refer to the temperature that food is held at because we have something in culinary arts called the danger zone, which is basically in between, uh, you know, if, if basically at room temperature, if, a, if food is held at that temperature for too long, then that's the ideal temperature for bacterial uh, and pathogens to grow at. So we want to avoid allowing food to hang out at room temperature for too long. You know, if it's perishable or whatnot, if it's dry, it's not a huge deal. But like, for example, I don't want to leave beef out on the fridge, uh, out on the counter for like 10 hours and then cook it. You know, I, I want to let it temper maybe for a half hour or if it's a big roast, maybe an hour at most so that it comes to room temp and then cook it. I don't want to like leave it at room temperature where uh, that's where like food poisoning and a lot of shit can happen. So so critical control points are kind of like, you know, these are the temperatures that you should be holding food at, whether it's cold or hot huh. for, for food safety. Well, yeah. you learn something every day. Yeah. It's almost as if we should be doing culinary <laughs> mental models. <laughs> It's funny the things that you can take out of other walks of life and apply to jujitsu or vice versa. The things I've learned from jujitsu that I have applied to completely unrelated things in my life is really baffling sometimes. But that's one of the things I like about jujitsu is it 
kind of is like a, a proving ground where you get really immediate feedback and you yeah. can test ideas and you start to see the patterns between things happening in jujitsu and in the rest of your life. But I think what you're describing is a really interesting concept, which is that there's always a ton of variables at play, but usually there's a handful of things that really matter and you cannot make compromises on. The rest of the stuff you can kind of freestyle, but there's always going to be a handful of things you can't. Mm. And I think that with submission as position, this is an important consideration because if you're going to be using a submission to try to advance position, you need to really understand which parts of those submission can just never be compromised. Because a lot of what you're doing is going to be moving around, repositioning your body, repositioning Uke's body, but you need to understand what are the variables that you can't change. And there's always going to be a few, right? And to what we talked about earlier, really almost any submission can probably be used as an opportunity to advance position. I mean, some might work better than others, but probably with almost any submission, if you've got a submission you're good at, as you get more advanced, you're probably going to start coming up with clever ways to try to use that, not just to submit, but also to sweep, to advance position. I know that this is something I've done myself personally, where a lot of the submissions I went for early on, I now use them not just to submit, but also to look for sweeping or passing opportunities. Can you think of any other really good examples, Matt? Any other subs that you use to try to advance the position? Well, I use omoplata, like the re-roll, to funnel my posi- my opponent hopefully into a uh, seated, not a turtle, but like seated turtle position where they're stuck in the omoplata. And if that doesn't work and they, you know, if, if they manage to roll through and I come up on top, then that's awesome too, because I just use it as a sweep and I basically have like a uh, amount of sorts, right? So I, I use things like pretty much any submission you can you can view as a system. All you need to do is know what makes it work. So uh, I use the example of critical control points, right? Like an omoplata, I want to make sure, again, like a kimura, I want to have your arm away from your core uh, and I want to be able to get into base and I need to be ready for your reaction. So most of the time your reaction is going to be to roll through and then that's when I can come up on top and start utilizing other stuff. And then from there I can re-roll as well. So I, I, I think about what makes the technique work and then I work backwards. So I think, okay, where can I hit this technique from? Uh, and where do I end up once this happens? So I kind of have like a beginning, a middle and an end. And then, you know, I might finish with an omoplata or I might transition to something else completely different, depending. It's just, you know, as long as I, as long as I use the omoplata control to get to where I want to go. So that's interesting because you're talking about reverse game planning there where you've got something that you know you're good at and you're thinking backwards to figure out how can I build a game plan around this thing that I'm good at. We actually talked about that on our game planning series on Patreon, the concept that when you're building a funnel and you're trying to funnel towards a specific technique, one of the ways to do that is think about, well, what are the things I'm really, really good at and really comfortable with? And how can I work backwards to think of ways to get into that that situation. And a submission that you like is a great example of that because if there's a sub that you're just awesome at, and let's be real, most of us have submissions that we're just, we're way better at a handful of things than we are at everything else. If there's one or two subs that you're really good at, if you can work backwards to figure out ways to build a game plan around that submission and use it not just to get the tap, but to advance the position, that's a big, big win for you. An example for myself, I mean, also describing the Omoplata, I used to not love that so much because I found it was just really low percentage to actually submit the guy off of the bottom. But then at some point I did realize that the power of the Omoplata is not just that you do the Omoplata and you get the submission. The power of the Omoplata is that you can use it as a sweep. You can get on top. And then from there, if you want the omoplata, it's a lot easier to finish it when you're on top by doing things such as re-rolling or stepping over and going back into the omoplata. Yeah, it's the space between the notes. That's Definitely. what music is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think that's a great example, something that I really like too. And it's a great example of how some submissions maybe are safer for this kind of strategy than others. So we've talked, for example, about the Kimura and about the Omoplata. And the benefits to the Kimura and Omoplata is that they're kind of low commitment. If you try a Kimura and it goes sideways, it's pretty easy to just go back to where you were. Same with the Omoplata. If you try the Omoplata and the guy isn't going to have it, then you can just go back to guard. That's 
a really important consideration if you're building a game plan that uses a submission as a position. So as an example, if you're using a submission that really requires you to commit to the technique, you got to be careful because if it fails, you don't want to wind up in a worse position than where you started. So as an example, there's not a lot of people that use a triangle as a, I would say, as a position. I mean, some sometimes they do, but usually it's not for sweeping. Like usually if someone goes for a triangle, they might alter it and switch it to an arm bar, but you don't see a lot of people use triangles for sweeps. And I think that's because the triangle is such a committed position. It's okay. very hard to bail out or to reposition yourself when you're tethered to your opponent in that way. So some submissions may lend themselves better as positions than others would. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and shooting up triangles on someone who's fully postured isn't a good way to actually catch the triangle. But um, if you know anything about K guard, you can shoot up a triangle as they posture. You can transition off to the lower body and start attacking the legs, start looking for matrix hook and backside 50-50 and all types of awesome, all, all types of awesome stuff. So in one breath, we talk about don't attack someone who's who is in alignment, like from the closed guard, for example, shooting up a triangle, you know, you could get your guard pass. But if you shoot up a triangle knowing that they have to posture and you immediately are transitioning into something like a K guard, then it's it's actually not a bad strategy because uh, you're not you're not wasting any time. Your plan is to go for the K guard as soon as they defend. So uh, it, it kind of works. Right. But I, I agree with you. Once you're tethered to your opponent with a triangle, it is it's difficult to bail because a lot of the time, if you lose that position, you actually end up either getting stacked or passed. So yeah. it's not really a position you want to fall apart outside of your own choice. Yeah, I find that the triangle is better as a kill shot. Like you break the guy's alignment and then you do the triangle while he's out of alignment and then you submit. Whereas submissions like Kimura's or Omoplata's or even arm bars, they're pretty easy to bail out of. So you can use them as a warning, basically. You know, you, yeah. you do this attack and your goal is to get your opponent out of alignment briefly so that you can move on to something else. Whereas I don't see a lot of people do that with the triangle. Like I don't see people who attempt a triangle knowing they're probably not going to get it and they want to move on to something else. The guys I know who are good at triangles when they go for a triangle, it's because they know they're going to get it. <laughs> yeah. And like, if you want to talk about critical control points for a triangle, I think the most critical control point is like, obviously you need a head and arm, but the most critical control point is don't let them posture, right? If, if you mm -hmm. let someone posture while they're in a triangle, there's a good chance they're going to escape. But if you can always keep their posture broken, it's super difficult to escape. And I think, I think it's also, you know, keep your opponent on their knees instead mm -hmm. of standing. It's kind of like if someone's in your closed guard, if they're on their knees, it's almost impossible for them to break your closed guard. Yeah. But as soon as they stand... Um, a lot more options open up for them. Or even to take them off of their knees. Like if you can get them to basically face plant and fall over, that's, oh, where, yeah, that'd be awesome. that's where the triangle is especially powerful. It's obviously not easy to do, but I see people do this off of things like scissor sweeps, right? Where their opponent tries to base and they kick out the person's knee and they fall over right into a triangle. Mm -hmm. That's a common strategy for the triangle is you basically, rather than throwing your legs up and trying to catch them, you try to knock them over so they fall into the triangle. But the common thread through all of this is the triangle is one of those moves where due to the level of commitment involved, it's hard to bail out of. So it's kind of used more as a, as a kill shot. I don't see a lot of people using the triangle as a position, except maybe to switch up and try and get an arm bar. But they're not often trying to like sweep off of the triangle. Yeah, it's funny when we, when we talk about these systems, how much rob's language comes up like the alignment theory is just such an easy way to illustrate critical controls i don't know how i would teach jujitsu if i never learned the alignment concepts because it's like i would literally be teaching moves you know mm -hmm. but if i could just tell tell a brand new person doing a triangle saying hey when you do this move you need to control their head. Like whether you're grabbing your own leg or grabbing the back of their head, they cannot posture up. If they posture up, you're going to lose. It's like, okay, now I have that clear rule in my mind. 
and and it's directly related to biomechanics and how your body works so it you know it makes sense uh in terms of physics it's just it's just i think the best way to actually describe what is needed to make moves work yeah and make systems work and the great example there too the critical control point of the triangle would be posture right that's the make or break detail is if your opponent can posture up yeah. then it's going to be real real hard to actually get the triangle whereas if you can constantly keep your opponent leaning forward or force them to have to post in a bunch of odd ways that's where the triangle becomes really really effective so again a big part of establishing a submission as a position is knowing what are the critical details that you can just never compromise on now matt there's also a lot of much more exotic ways that you can use submissions as positions i mean you know that for me i love the ezekiel choke and i actually use the ezekiel as an escape as a sweep uh, to pass the guard like there's a lot of things that you can do there because the thing about that choke is even if you don't necessarily think you're going to get it it forces your opponent to bring their hands up to defend it right they can't just sit there and let you ezekiel them um and similarly even if you're on the bottom like even sometimes you got to be careful because you don't want to get arm barred or arm locked but even if you're on like bottom side control or bottom north south if the guy thinks there's a chance that you're going to get something they're going to have to back off and make space so you can kind of use attacks like that kind of like a hedgehog <laughs> you know where you, you stick out your spikes and the guy realizes oh maybe i don't want to sit on that right um that's something that i've noticed is a lot of the time these submissions that we crap on because you're not supposed to do them from the bottom or whatever even if they're not super high percentage as submissions they force a response out of your opponent um, a good example again would be like the suicide choke from the bottom baseball right baseball bat yeah. yeah where you go for like the baseball bat choke for the bottom i mean yeah it's predictable and it, usually it only catches people one time but it forces you to not fall down on top of the person, right? If you know that the guy is going to try to suicide choke you from the bottom, the last thing you're going to do is go chest to chest with him because you're choking yourself. So it puts up a threat that forces your opponent to compromise the position that they want to have. Um, a lot of these kind of weird, more exotic submission strategies also can be applied like that, just like the Kimura or the Omoplata, right? And that's something to think about. If there's a sub that you like to do and you're generally pretty good at, maybe think about how you can use that as a as a transition to improve position and not just to get the tap. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the lapel stuff that Keenan does, like the reverse Della Worm, once you get to that position it either funnels you towards a back take or the worm bar. And and as long as you have that lapel grip, the guy really can't escape easily as long as, you know, you guys are similar sized or whatever. So it's like, yeah, move, moves, ex that's an exotic move that kind of, uh, it, it kind of works again between two dilemmas and it's a system and, and you can get to it multiple different ways. You can kind of go the long route and go through the ringworm guard or you can set it up from the like an upside down position um in kind of a flashy fashion that keenan shows so that like yeah there's definitely there's definitely exotic moves that can get you to where you need to go um i'm not a huge fan of attacking chokes from the bottom in certain like uh well i don't do the baseball bat choke anymore because i literally blew up my shoulder as a blue belt doing that but it definitely works you know there's that famous video of um magic majid hage i believe his name is against zach maxwell and he he you know in the black belt division and maxwell's really good and he catches him with that move and you know his nickname is gorilla hands and i assume it's just because his grips are ridiculous you can't once he gets that grip you can't you can't break it, right? So definitely there is there is exotic moves that, uh, you know, if you don't catch your opponent, they at least have to respect them and they have to make space. Yeah, I mean, the trick with attacking off the bottom like that, especially from an inferior position, is you have to be careful not to either expose a lever for attack. Like yeah. if you're going for a choke off the bottom, you've got to make sure that there's no way the guy can armbar you or choke you if you do that. But also you don't want to sit there and compromise your ability to move i think a mistake that a lot of people make when they go for that strategy is they try to do the suicide choke but they get so caught up in it that they forget to like hip escape <laughs> and actually get out um so you don't want to do one to the exclusion of the other if you're going to use that strategy your end goal should still be to actually make space and escape yeah and and if you go for that suicide choke and it doesn't work 
you know, you want to recover, either get back to uh, guard or get up if you can, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I I love uh, the guillotine as a system. I mean, I I think we would just call that the front headlock system. But I really like the guillotine as a system because you can sweep with it with a with like a hook sweep or you can there's a variety of different adjustments you can make. You can get back into the turtle and then look to go to the back. It's just such a uh, such an open ended submission that allows you to do so much. And I'm, you know, it's funny how, how outlooks change. I used to be all about, um, like the Marcelo team, like the high elbow guillotine. And now I've almost entirely gotten away from that. And I'm more about head and arm guillotines because I find that once you had the arm trapped in there as well, it makes it so much easier to transition, uh, with good control as opposed to just the, just the neck where I feel like now that I don't have a lever inside the, the, my arms, my opponent can spin out easier and things like that. So I, I, I'm a huge fan of the head and arm position. Yeah. If you want to go for a headlock series, if you've just got the head, kind of your option has to be either to finish the guy or do almost like a sumigaishi and put him over top of you because the problem is if you try to send him side to side without having his arms controlled he can base but if you've got a head and arm then you can actually block them on one side which opens up a whole bunch of other sweeping opportunities in case the submission fails i mean i i'm not the strongest guy and i don't have the longest arm so i'm not a big fan of the head and arm but it's a powerful control mechanism because even if you can't get the submission it it's very, very hard for someone to get out of a head and arm lock, right? You can use that as a sweep and that in itself uh, can be a whole strategy if you can't get the submission. Well, like the head and arm, like a, like a Darce formation from the top turtle. That's like one of my favorite systems there because you got the, you got, the, I, I find the Darce nowadays to be a little bit too over committing for my arm. Like you really got to shoot your arm through. So I've kind of funneled my game away from the Darts, but man, like the Japanese neckties right there, that's probably my favorite. Um, then you got the head and arm, tri- uh, sorry, head and arm guillotine. There's also the Peruvian. If you, that That's more of an exotic type choke, but I think the Japanese necktie is kind of the, you know, if I have a hierarchy of moves that I'm trying to get in that position, that's kind of the number one. And if it fails, you know, you can always transition into a different situation. Like you can always go for a guillotine. You can always set up darces and then just flow through the positions as opportunities come up, right? Like essentially once you're there and your opponent's alignment is so broken, you can just switch through dilemmas and force them to react, you know, and, and no matter what, even if they disengage, you can just go to north, south and and maul them from there so it's not like it's not like it's an easy position for them to get their guard back in fact on the contrary if you if your head and arm is stuck you don't necessarily want your guard back because it actually gives your opponent control of your leg as a lever and that's kind of how the japanese necktie works right so so many times i put guys in that head and arm japanese necktie position and they they use their legs to try and get half guard instinctually and it's like sweet that's actually what i want right uh, shout out to Ben Dyson because he caught me with that so many times and he's the reason why I kind of learned the Japanese necktie now and man it's like such a good such a good attack. That's on my to-do list. I'm kind of planning to learn the Japanese necktie. I think at this point my daughter actually knows more about it than I do because <laughs> it's in that book you bought her the ABCs of Jiu-Jitsu. A is for armbar. Yeah yeah J is for Japanese necktie so I think she's actually more familiar with it than I am. That's not really my thing but it should be because I love the front headlock series. And one of the things I like about using the headlock as a position is it is a total equalizer. Doesn't matter if you're big, doesn't matter if you're small, doesn't matter if it's MMA, self-defense, IBJJF. The front headlock series is always a legitimate threat. And that's one of the things that's so great about it. Whereas, you know, a lot of other strategies, you kind of look at them and you think they, ah, that might fall apart if this were on the streets, right? Um, one of the things... <laughs> well, I love that argument. This is on the street. Well, one of the things actually that's great about using submission as position is it's almost always effective in a self-defense situation because it is very hard for someone to tee off on you if you're submitting them, <laughs> right? Like, I can't really think of a situation where if you're using a submission as a position, your opponent could, like, somehow just start attacking you from there. Very, very hard to do because by definition, you've put them on the defense. So if self-defense or MMA are things that you're particularly passionate about, like think about that. It's very, very hard for someone to attack you when you're trying to submit them, even if it's not the most high percentage submission. But if you're arm barring someone on the street, 
They can bite your leg. Of course, of course, of course. Or they can... Um, what, are, what are some other things that you can do? Some other memes? I mean, of course... your dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess theoretically, if you're armbarring someone, they could bite your leg. But I mean, it, what are you wearing? Like, aren't you... If you're wearing like boots or socks, it's going to be kind of hard. Also, couldn't you just stomp them on the face? Yeah, I always think about like hammer fisting the face. <laughs> <laughs> or I would... Honestly, I would probably just... Uh, I would probably just go to the Kimura and then go to a rear triangle because then there's no way they're going to bite me. There's there's no way they can hit me. Um, I can hold them there forever. Their shoulder, I could break it at any time. Like it, the, the, the rear triangle with the Kimura, I think is like probably the most dominant move in jiu-jitsu. Like that is such a strong position because their arm is completely fucked and you can deal blows to their face you can choke them out, like wrist lock. It's all there, right? It's it's like the it's kind of like the Chinese buffet, except you could get bit there as well. If I ever got into a street fight, I would sit down on my butt and I'd wait for the other person to sit down on their butt, and then I'd stand up and then I'd argue with <laughs> the referee for points. <laughs> <laughs> and you won the world. Um, yeah, I, I kind of told you before, but I should. Tell you, I almost. I, I basically witnessed a robbery on the weekend. Amazing. Went up to the cabin there and we're in a small town on the way called Mission. And we went to a Fresh Co., which is basically the new version of Safeway. It's like a lot of Safeways have gone out of business around here. And Fresh Co. has sort of moved in. It's like the shittier version of Safeway. And anyways, on the way out, I Is saw that their the, official motto? We're yeah. the shittier we're, version we're of Safeway? We're the shittier version of Safeway. It's like, a, it's like a no frills version of Safeway, I guess. And anyways... I walked out and I saw this dude getting apprehended by a uh, underqualified security guard. The guy, what a job. The security guard had one one grip on the guy's jacket. He could have, I mean, if I had that grip, I would have fucking thrown the guy. But it, but, but he's like, you, you have to come with me. You have to go to the back room. And the guy just broke the grip and ran. And I had a good three or four seconds. Like, I could have easily just doubled this guy. And I was like, why would I? Like, I just let him go. <laughs> why, why would you risk, like, getting your eye gouged? Not or even, sued. Yeah, not even to get into, like, social distancing. But why would you risk your own health and also possibly getting sued or going to jail well, to make sure that this to, store doesn't get, like, a bag of salad stolen? To, to use my jujitsu in the street, obviously. Of that's, course. That's the first thing that was in my mind. I'm like, an opportunity to use my jujitsu. And then I weighed out the risk first reward. And I was like, no, this is stupid <laughs> even if i stop the guy I, i'm not going to be able to, we're not going to keep that clamshell of strawberries or whatever the hell he stole there's no way that the store is going to keep that product after they're just going to throw it out anyway so like really who am i helping here i'm, I'm not going to get any thank yous i might get injured i might get sued so i just you know if this guy's stealing i'm like maybe he lost his job because of this pandemic maybe he needs the groceries and just let i'll him, tell you, let who him you go. i'll tell you who you'd be helping Helio Gracie, because you'd be, <laughs> you'd be proving the art effective in the streets. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like, it was perfect. He, his back was to me. Like, I could have I easily just dumped him. Like, I, I could have tripped him. I could have singled him, single-legged him. And I'm just, in the end, I'm like, no. You, you need groceries, clearly. <laughs> you I'm need, not, not going to stop you. <laughs> like, maybe you have kids at home. <laughs> All of these calculations Matt did in, like, half a second. It was. I did risk versus reward. <laughs> yeah. Logical thinking, and yeah, I think I made the right choice. It's funny, you know, we've talked about that before about how when people start jujitsu, they everyone envisions that they want to be this like Jean Claude Van Damme from the 80s badass. That's why we all get into this, is because we want to be total killers. But then, as you actually realize what violence entails, by the time you get to black belt, you're thinking, I never want to fight. Yeah, yeah, please don't make me fight. And I'm looking at the security guard, like, if I was him, I'd be all over it. I'd be like, okay, I'm gonna use what I'm trained for, this is my job. I'm going to take you down, whatever cops are going to come. But as someone looking in from the outside, I'm like, what do I stand to gain from getting into a a fight with this sketchy looking dude from Mission? Like, I might as well, I just let him go. That's good, because if you get arrested, it's going to be really hard for me to fly solo on this podcast. So I appreciate it. (laughs) <laughs> if you could remain available. And, I mean, let's be honest. If I dump the guy and he gets hurt, I'm very liable there. Well, yeah. I mean, this is actually a challenge, right? If you are a jujitsu black belt, especially professionally, like you run a gym or you're a competitor, basically anything you do in a self-defense situation is going to be viewed unfavorably. Uh, this is a challenge that police deal with a lot, right? Is, you know, a lot of the time they, I know that even though jujitsu is effective, they, they're a little bit shy to train or employ it because they, they don't want this news story about how this like black belt cop like ripped a guy's arm out of its socket, right? It's just not a good look. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but that's the way it is. 
I think a lot of, uh, I don't, I, I don't think this rule exists for cops, but I do know some people who are like corrections officers and working with, uh, troubled youths. They're not allowed to implement like chokeholds or anything. Yeah. Because- Which is fascinating because, and I get it right. When people think of chokeholds, they think of like Hollywood where they think it's like a garage where you're pulling out a piano wire and you're killing someone. So there's this frown upon when it comes to chokeholds, but like breaking someone's arm is totally fine. Yeah. Like in reality, putting someone in a cop lock and just yeah. breaking their arm. Yeah. If I had to choose between like getting choked and getting my arm busted, I would prefer to be choked. Same. <laughs> but I think a lot of that is just familiarity with how this stuff actually works. Um, anyway, Matt, good chat. Is there anything else that you wanted to add on the topic of submission as position? That's pretty good. I thought so, too. Cool. Well, just to recap the concepts we talked about today, we talked about myopia. This is a challenge when you're going for submission as position, right? If you're on the bottom and you go for that Kimura trap, a big part of the game is like you're not actually trying to just get the sub. You want to advance the position. And a mistake people make is they get myopic and they get overly focused on trying to catch the sub from the bottom. If you ever get into that situation, use it as an opportunity to think about how you could actually advance rather than just sitting there and trying to get a sub that is going to ultimately be pretty low percentage. We talked about body tethering. A lot of submissions, when you use them, especially from the bottom, might be hard to turn into systems because you need the ability to bail out or to maneuver your body. So if you're doing something like a triangle choke, you might find it challenging to actually build a whole system out of that. We talked about dilemmas. Like the big reason why you're using submissions as positions is to create dilemmas. Your opponent has to respond to a submission attack. Even if it's not super dangerous, even if they're probably going to get out, they still have to respond. We talked about technique chaining. Like really, the concept here is you're using a submission as an opening salvo to get your opponent moving and to create opportunities that might not otherwise be there. We talked about Kazushi. Kazushi, it can be hard to get against a really stubborn opponent when you're on the bottom, but if you attack a submission, it almost always forces a response that makes your opponent move, which is a great opportunity for then actually getting a sweep. We talked about predictable responses. So when you go for a submission, one of the benefits is you narrow the window of possibilities as to what your opponent is going to do. They have to respond to the submission, and that's going to be in a handful of relatively predictable ways. So rather than having no clue what your opponent is going to do, if you're the first to attack and you go for a submission, you force your opponent down a narrower path and you take away their options. We talked about critical control points, Um, something about food going bad, but also (laughs) the general concept here is there's a lot of very with really any technique and you always want to strip away the variables that don't need to always be the same but there's going to be some variables that are actually constant and those constants are the things that you need to make sure you really understand and you don't deviate from we talked about committed techniques again some submissions just inherently lend themselves better to position simply because they're easier to bail out of or transition out of We talked about inversion. Matt gave a great example about how you can use a submission that you're good at to think backwards. Basically, you can figure out a submission you're good at and think backwards to build a whole game plan around that submission. And we talked about funneling. So the idea that if you've got a submission that you want to play as a position or just as a submission, you can focus on getting the game there, getting people to that place where you're comfortable and you're effective. And per the previous mental model, a good way to do that is inverted thinking, like thinking, hey, I'm good at this. How do I work backwards to figure out how to get people to that scenario? So Matt, I've got a question for you. I like Josh. <laughs> I like Josh Waitskin's principle from chess, where he started learning only with three pieces on the board to internalize the principles. BJJ could get fairly complex quite quickly. Therefore, I try to reduce it whenever possible. My conclusion from this is to master more dominant positions, to mean have less options for the opponent first, and to move to less dominant ones. I am currently working on mount, both top and bottom position, and would progress through back and side mount to different types of guard. What do you think of this approach? So interestingly, I think this guy's basically talking about critical control points. Like when he gives that example of taking all the pieces off the chessboard, like basically what you're talking about is removing the variables to focus on the fundamentals. And that I think is, as we've talked about in this episode, it's an awesome strategy, right? Before you try to remember every little detail, you should identify the details that are truly important that don't vary and master those and then freestyle the rest. That is what I would suggest. 
What rank is he? Does he say? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a cool... Uh, that that is definitely good um more importantly i mean this guy could be a black belt and totally know what he's doing or he could be a white or blue belt and just sort of figuring out positions and stuff like that ultimately i think the simplest way to learn jujitsu is learn how to keep your body in good alignment learn how to break your opponent's alignment everything after that is kind of you know, uh, secondary, like those are kind of the main things. Those are my main goals, right? Keep myself in good position, learn how to break my opponent's position so that I can get to where I want to go. Because if you're starting in Mount, that's great. And you're transitioning to other positions, but like, how did you get to Mount? You know, how, how did you, how did you get to some of these dominant positions? It's great to isolate those positions and work on them as their own, but, uh, I'm not quite sure how they're getting there or, where they're going to and from there. Yeah, I think his idea of trying to focus on the core things that are really important makes a lot of sense. And that ties into some of the training strategies we've talked about in the past where you do handicap training, you know, where you remove variables and say, hey, we're only going to focus on this one particular thing rather than having a free roll. And I think that if you do that, if you start putting restrictions on your training, you can force yourself to focus on the things that really matter. So an example that I give a lot is I think that grip fighting is a tremendously underrated part of the game so one exercise i like to do is just grip fighting where you basically you walk towards someone who's in the guard and you engage the grip battle and as soon as someone gets dominant grips you reset and you go back again so you're not even really doing jujitsu you're just focusing on this one particular piece i think that's a great strategy but to your point matt at the end of the day, once you're familiar with those basics, then you got to start adding the layers back on top of it. And you've got to start being able to understand the nuance and how to transition from one thing to another. But I think it's great to focus on the core concepts first. Absolutely. Cool. Want to plug anything? You. I knew that was going to happen. Awesome. Uh, that's forever on the internet now, but that's okay. <laughs> so uh, again, I hope you appreciated this. As always, if you find this a useful resource, the best way to say thank you is to go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash models. Please pay us. We, we believe our work is valuable. We like money. But on top of that, we also provide a lot of extra stuff to our patrons. We're in the process of putting together a whole seven-part series on building your own game plan, and that's available to patrons in the silver tier or above. We're also always looking for ways to add more value to the people there. So it's not just a one-way purchase on your part we're actually trying to give as much value back to you as we possibly can and of course a huge thanks to everyone who's already supporting us on there again if you want to help us we'd greatly appreciate it that's at patreon.com slash bjj mental models of course if you want to learn more about our systems and find the other cool stuff that we offer you can go to bjjmentalmodels.com that's the main website everything is linked to from there that's also where we've got a big database of concepts that we make available uh into everything we talk about on the show you can go to bjjmentalmodels.com slash store where you can pick up our gi patches t-shirts hoodies a lot of great stuff there and again that also supports the show you can go to bjjmentalmodels.com slash join which is where you would go to join our mailing list we send details out and more info out every friday which supplements what we talk about on the podcast and of course we're always available on facebook and on instagram if you want to follow us there good chat matt It was. It's hot as hell in here. It really is. (laughs) Hey, I'm just glad it's summer. Anyway, talk to you next time, guys. Thanks a lot. Take care.